our thoughts about this program are wrong, about the people in the program are wrong. Uh, we had no preconceived notions only other than what we've been told. And she really, really educated us about it to the point where we invited her to move into the property. She essentially taught us about the program from the ground up. Welcome to the REI Partners Meetup. We're your hosts, Matt Morrow and Richard Clark. This is a place where knowledge is shared, friends collaborate, as we help each other to succeed in both our real estate and personal goals. We are a group of like-minded individuals from across the country who are here to help and support each other. Investors, realtors, entrepreneurs, and many others contribute to providing diverse and practical content for our events, especially our mentors who enjoy helping new and experienced investors in their journeys. Thanks for joining. We hope you enjoy the show and encourage you to bring others who may find value as we invest in our collective future. Okay, thanks everyone for joining REI Partners Meetup for March. And uh, Matt and my name is Richard, and we're here to host the uh, call today. We're going to talk about uh, a couple of different things. It's going to be a short call. We're going to talk about a little bit on the markets. And uh, I believe Matt's going to be talking about uh, some Section 8, which should uh, turn into a very interesting conversation. So. Um, my name is Richard Clark. I'm out here in Western PA, uh, Pittsburgh area, servicing uh, this particular economy in uh, a little bit of Ohio and West Virginia, uh, doing private equities, working one-on-one with investors to develop managed portfolios. Matt is doing the same thing out of the East uh, in the Lehigh Valley, Allentown area, and is... Uh, is is really knocking it dead out there from what I hear with that great closing he had today. <laughs> Partial closing. Partial right closing. So, um, but welcome everybody for joining. And um, uh, Matt, I'm going to let you talk a little bit about the Section 8 stuff. I guess you'll go ahead and kick that off and then um, we'll finish up with a little bit of market discussion and some open talk, yeah? Sounds good. Um, so I think most of the guys here are listening in from their phones, <clears throat> excuse me, so they might be on mute. So we'll just kind of save the intros uh, for later. And um, we'll just kick it off right now, if that's cool with everybody. So uh, tonight we're gonna talk about Section 8. It's a pretty cool uh, program. It's a very necessary program. And it's actually called the Housing Choice Voucher Program sponsored by the federal government. It's not really, um, Section 8 is a Section 8 of the code, but, I'd like to share my screen, and if everybody can just let me know if you see this, that would be wonderful. Can you guys see the web page here? Hey, firm. Yes, I guess so. Okay, great. Um, so the Housing Choice Voucher Program, Section 8 is what most people call it, is the government's support of low income and people who need housing uh, and to keep the um the terminology and all the details to a very very basic minimum I'm just going to go over some of the highlights of the program the federal government has a bunch of money that they set aside to support landlords and to support people who uh, provide their property for low income there are county and other organizations sponsored buildings like every county has its own um low income section and you're probably familiar with those in your area if you are from a certain position i know we have a few around here that are very clear-cut county provided housing however a unique part of this program allows private landlords to 
rent their properties out to people who are in need of homes for certain things. So every area is different, but every county and housing authority is given funds through tax dollars and through grants to provide cash to these people uh, so that they don't have to bring all of the rent money to the table. So in general terms, I'm going to talk just in Eastern Pennsylvania because that's where our market is, but you can apply this to your own all over the country. Great program. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people in line for this and a lot of people who are likely never going to see some relief. Uh, it's unfortunately, the program is minorly flawed, but at the same time, it is helping a lot of people who need help. So what we could do to be a part of this movement, and most of the people on the call and a part of this group, the people that we all choose to work with are all decent down to earth people who want to provide not only safe and secure housing for people, but they want it to also be a good investment. That's why we're all on this call today while we're all investing in real estate, because it has to be a good investment first, and it also has to provide a decent place for someone to live. As a private landlord, which we all are, you want to understand the program before you get really far into the weeds. There are some things about this program that you want to know. There's some gotchas, some things we've learned um, through experience and things we wish we knew beforehand. I'm just going to go over the basics with you tonight. But scrolling through, since most of this stuff is available online, we'll send the follow-up link so you can find all this stuff out after the fact. But I'll go through a few of the documents, a few of the resources that they have, and then I'll show you an example of some of our paperwork um, that you can see is one of actual, one of our tenants. The Housing Choice Voucher Program, again, U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. It's from the U.S. federal government. This website is right from HUD.gov. It's a lot of fantastic information. It talks about stability in the vouchers, the enterprise vouchers, funding updates, because it is tax money sponsored. You can get a lot of um, updates there. There's all of these different pieces to this website, which is actually pretty user-friendly. And as a new landlord trying to learn, they offer lots of trainings, lots of documentation, everything that you need to get up and running. Um, there's all of these different resources. So please, if you're interested in renting out to HUD tenants or Section 8 tenants, as we'll call them moving forward, it can be both a very good investment for you and a safe, secure, and sanitary place for these people to live who've been waiting years. And I'll show you some statistics of local data here before we finish the call. We're talking years until you get on this list. So in order to be part of the housing voucher program, you need to qualify. You need to qualify in various forms. This is a, um, a book that allows you to learn about the program. That's right on the HUD's website, and it's a hundred and some pages of <clears throat> goals, trainings, concern areas. I highly, highly recommend if you'd like, we can put this in the documents and send it out after the fact, but this is a great tool for landlords. The, let me check through here. I'm going to start using just the Lehigh County because that's where a lot of us operate. Uh, and then you can find your own um, section here. The Housing Choice Voucher Program allows low-income people to have subsidized support through their rent check. County housing or private housing, it doesn't matter. These people need somewhere to live and they have an income cap. 
there is a limit because there's only so much money available. And because there's only so much tax money available to fund these programs, there's only so many vouchers available. The vouchers, similar to food stamps, allow the person, once they qualify, and once they're sifted through the system, they can get into lines to then apply for a voucher. The voucher is something they take with them. It has their name, their family size, a bunch of different information, and it's only good for a certain amount of time. That voucher is then taken to any private landlord, and they essentially apply for your unit the way that they would in any other way. So they come to you with something that looks like this. This is a voucher that this tenant came to us with. <clears throat> it has their information on it. It's from Lehigh County, has the validity dates. And if you can see right here, it has some timelines on it. It's not showing up, Matt. Matt we're, not show we're not seeing it on the screen. You're sharing your browser, so. And just for everyone's benefit, there's a separate um, funding source similar to this for veterans that is specific. So the VASH program, I don't know, Matt, you're gonna talk about that, but the Veterans Affairs Supportive Housing uh, Program is also a Section 8-like program specifically for veterans. Tonight, and that's a really good program, Richard. Tonight, for the purpose of the call, I just had this one. Maybe we could do another one for that. Okay. Um, but it's a similar, they have vouchers, they have programs just like this. They come to you with this voucher. It's a piece of paper that expires on a certain day. If you notice, this was given on October of last year. Um, good for two months. Expires in February. And this tenant came to us two days before the end of February with a final extension date 10 days in. So she was literally going to lose her voucher. Um, this is a very sad story because she's been looking for years for landlords that would be willing to rent to them. Uh, and there was no one. So she was living in a boarding house in Center City, Allentown with two young girls, um, children, one year and six years old. The system is very, very flawed because there's not enough support out there to help people who are in need. However, the system is just good enough to keep people on the system for a long time because it's supporting them. So it's a double-edged sword. We have tenants on the voucher program that got a raise at work their housing expense went up astronomically because their raise at work put them over the threshold. Now they're making more money. So Uncle Sam gives them less money every month and you're almost setting them up for failure to a certain point. So realize in the back end of these housing vouchers that tenants come to you with, there is an equation that you have no control over. They have to meet income requirements. They have to meet certain thresholds. And then if they make more than a certain amount, they're either cut off or they have their rent amount owed adjusted. They bring this voucher to you and they say, hey, I'd like you to consider me as a tenant. And you can say no. As a private landlord, you are allowed to say no. There are some areas that you're not allowed to say no. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But you are allowed to consider them. You are allowed to do background checks on them. You're allowed to do everything that you normally would to a normal tenant that would come in in this case. And to be perfectly honest, the people as part of this program are going to be very, very good long-term tenants because their voucher requires them to do certain things to keep their voucher. They're going to be there for a long time because not many landlords who are private landlords allow Section 8. And again, we keep going back to this whole concept of the program being flawed. The average tenant stay 
for Section 8 is 8 to 9 years, according to the government's website, which is pretty crazy if you think about it. Most smaller landlords, you have one to two, maybe three years with some tenants. Long-term tenants that have guaranteed government payment on the first of the month, regardless of economy status, has some attraction to it. So for any of you out there who are looking um, into Section 8, we highly, highly suggest this because it's very, um, it's double-sided. You have investors who are getting great returns. You're getting sometimes premium rents in areas because of the shortage of housing for the people in this bracket. And you're getting long-term tenants. There is the aura around uh, Section 8 tenants that there's damage and all these other things. And yes, I'm sure that's the case, but all of us have had damage and issues with property for tenants that not are not part of this program. It comes with the territory. You're dealing with families who are in a certain uh, income bracket in certain areas of the counties and cities. You roll with how the properties go. Right now, uh, the Section 8 tenants that we have and other people on the call some of them are actually the best tenants that we have. They know how important their voucher is. They keep the property very, very clean. Um, they know that every year a county inspector comes and looks through their unit. They survey the unit to be the landlord or to make sure the landlord is um, following their promise to keep the property in good condition. They also survey the tenant I'm sorry, they serve the landlord to make sure the tenant is paying on time. So for example, this tenant here has a rent of $14.50 a month. The county determined that through the equation they have, they will pay every month $840, which is great. The tenant is responsible for the rest. So for the landlord, it's a great deal. They're getting guaranteed rent every month. And if the tenant or a tenant doesn't pay their portion of the rent, the other 600 and change every month, then the county will pull the plug. The person loses their voucher and they replace them with someone else who can perform. Um, so it's kind of a win-win a for everybody because the tenant gets half their rent or more paid for. The landlord gets guaranteed rent and someone who checks up on everybody. One of the things we see with some landlords, they want to get into this, but they don't want to deal with the inspections, all the little things. It's going to come up anyway. If you're an owner and you don't want to fix an outlet that's not working or you don't want to fix chipping paint, don't get into the business. This is a people business where we have assets that you're trying to keep in good condition for long-term value. If you're going to nickel and dime expenses, and I know John, Richard, we talk about this all the time with clients. You have to be a people person and doing what's in the best interest of the tenant, not always the bottom dollar. And it's going to come around in the end. The inspector will fish that stuff out. They will find problems. They will identify them. And then you can get um, your rent withheld from HUD. So there's there's checks and balances. Section 8 tenants are notoriously um, very quick to respond because they know they have to have a certain time frame. The two that we had recently are very, very quick to respond, both in communication with lease terms, getting the paperwork back and forth. All of this is on them to take care of. If you self-manage, it is kind of paperwork intensive. There's lots of stuff that goes back and forth. If you have a property management company, they do a lot of this stuff for you. But I know there are extra fees for this. They also deal with a lot of the extra communication and baggage that might come with it too. 
So just some things to consider with Section 8. The request for tenancy approval is a letter that you complete and you send back to them after they bring this form to you. You advertise your unit for rent. You say Section 8 welcome. A lot of people apply because not many people say Section 8. Even if you say no Section 8, they still will call. That's actually how we got into Section 8 rentals is because we had an uh, advertisement for a vacancy. The woman reached out and said, hey, I know you say no Section 8, but I need to help somebody out there. I need to just let them know. I need to teach you about Section 8 so that maybe I could help somebody in the future. That immediately started our thought process. And oh my gosh, our thoughts about this program are wrong, about the people in the program are wrong. Uh, we had no preconceived notions only other than what we've been told. And she really, really educated us about it to the point where we invited her to move into the property. She essentially taught us about the program from the ground up. Uh, it was a great learning experience. Very, very um, down to earth, decent process we had. And it's been a great education for us. I, I wanted to share that all with you guys tonight that the, the stigma, the problems, they're gonna come with every single person. If you rent to a doctor, who is going to get transferred to a new hospital. It doesn't matter <laughs> if he's there for 18 months or two years or whatever. If he leaves in two years, that's vacancy. You got to redo the apartment. You got to redo paint, flooring, whatever you have to do. Long-term tenants are great, especially long-term tenants that are held accountable are also very great. You as a landlord should be held accountable also as a decent human being. There's so many units that we go into. <laughs> it's it's amazing how they are even habitable, let alone approved for Section 8. The tenant brings this form. They ask you to rent to them. If you say yes, you then complete this form, request for tenancy approval. You complete this to the best of your ability. What utilities are part of what? Who pays for what? And then you send this back to the local um, housing authority and they complete it. And then once this starts, you can essentially have the person move in once the inspector comes out. The inspector report will look at this paper. Can everyone see this, this screen here? The inspection yeah, we... report is from HUD. It has a lot of details on it. Who the inspector is, what type of property it is, where it is. There's a misconception, and I was part of that in the beginning as well, that the property has to be approved for Section 8. The property is not approved until someone comes to you with a voucher. You say, yes, I want to rent to you. And the way you do that is you do the background check and everything. They apply through the certain services. Once you approve them as a tenant, then the unit is no longer available. You can't advertise it or give it to anyone else after you sign the paperwork with this tenant. Then they complete all the paperwork and the inspector is scheduled to come out. Once the inspection is completed, as long as it's satisfactory, they can move in immediately. Some things to consider with these tenants, though, is that almost always there's going to be a financial component they may not have. They're not going to meet your three times monthly rent requirement. They're not going to always meet your credit requirement. But when those things are being provided by the government, it's something to consider. So if you have a tenant who makes $24,000 a year and they have four people in their family, you might not get them to approve 
based on your requirements of making $5,000 a month because it's not going to happen. But when the government's paying 80% of their rent bill, it's much, much easier to make those numbers work. Same thing with credit. But you'd be surprised. A lot of the people who we have apply and other landlords as well we hear, they have actually quite good credit for Section 8 tenants. Um, that, that didn't sound right. <laughs> they have quite good credit compared to other tenants. Um, so if you have a Section 8 tenant who might not have the greatest uh, work history, but they have great credit, that's kind of a win-win. Um, the inspector is going to show up after those paperwork are completed and the uh, housing authority approves your paperwork. They're going to make sure that the lease amount is something that the tenant can afford. If the lease is too expensive, they're going to ask you to compromise on rent to the point where it becomes financially capable for the tenant. If that does not happen, the whole thing's done and you start over from scratch. But it's almost always going to work where you can move a little bit on the numbers. You have the flexibility as private owners to make this work for the person. Inspector comes out, they complete this form, and they talk about everything. It's either fail, inconclusive, or pass. One of the three. These inspectors are pretty hardcore guys. They show up. The one guy around here, he shows up in his pressed pants with his U.S. Marines retired hat on, and he has this checklist printed with what appears to be a very brand new pen, and he is ready to go to town. Um, but as soon as you start that process with him, it, it's all about how the unit is perceived to look. When you walk in and it's clean and everything looks fine, these inspectors are going to be in a different mindset with you than if you walk in and there's cockroaches in the doorway. John, you just did one for us not too long ago. How was Jim? Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Um, Jim was, because of the condition of the of the units that Matt um, presented in the past, uh, when Jim showed up, he was very uh he let his guard down he was very personable um he he said to me yep i know matt got units all over uh copley and they're all they're all really nice and he i mean he didn't he didn't just do a, a dust and run he he did do a, a thorough um examination or evaluation but he did not nitpick um and and there were two things very little like a like a like a battery was missing out of a um fire a smoke detector and he basically just said, put a battery in, take a picture of it, send it to me, and I'll and I'll put put it in the report by the time I get back to the office. So he was great to work with. He was um a very unique inspector. And for anybody else on the call that has Section 8 rentals in Lehigh County, it's all about initial impression. If you walk into there and the inspector walks into there and it does not appear to be a nice place somewhere that you would want to live or have your family. It's going to be very, very different. They, just like borough inspectors and municipal inspectors, want to make sure that these units are clean, safe, and sanitary. Everything about those three words needs to be very obvious to these people because they, they want these units to be turnkey for their clients, essentially. They are providing the mediation between the landlords and the people who are waiting for years to find a safe place to live. Um, so they take that very, very seriously. Once you walk in and you show that you care about the place, 
it totally changes. And we highly recommend getting involved in the process for the first few so that you experience that because we all know those people, those landlords who do not take care of their place, it, it's not going to turn out well for you. You're going to have a, a laundry list of things to do. They can withhold you having this person moving in until all the repairs are done. Again, if it's mostly done, John was shooting this guy pictures after the fact. Hey, it's done. It's fixed. Here you go. And he was perfectly fine with it. As soon as that inspection's completed, however, the person can move in. Now, I caution you that moving in is a loaded question and a loaded scenario if you do not have appropriate lease provisions in place. The county is going to give you a housing assistance program or what's called HAP, lease. That lease is going to look like a Pennsylvania standard lease or a lease you find online, but it's approved by the HUD. You can have your own lease in addition to that, but the HUD lease is always going to come first. That lease is going to set forth a bunch of different relationship items between you, the tenant, and HUD. Now, they complete that for you. You have no say over the HUD lease because it's theirs. They, they have their back end with the tenant, and you have your relationship with HUD. So they're going to send you a lease to sign. They don't even want the whole thing back. They just want the signature page back. That's how you know standard these things are. Once they get it back, the tenant can move in at their leisure as long as the unit's been inspected. The things they do inspections on, we're talking about electricity, hazards with electricity, security, windows are huge. If the windows don't lock or if there's lead-based paint chipping paint on the windows, expect to replace it. Security, if there's not locks on the doors, you might as well just not even schedule the inspection. Electrical hazards, if there's outlets on the same wall as water, they have to be GFI. They should be by code anyway, but they're going to make you change them. Um, if there's fuses and not circuit breakers, they might make you change those. If there's open junction boxes electrically sitting around the basement or wherever, they might make you cover those. Um, ceiling condition. If there's water coming through, if there's hazardous like cracked drywall, same thing with walls. If it's not safe, flooring, lead-based paint, you guys all know what this stuff is. But if it doesn't pass the test of just visually being nice, they're going to make you fix it. Don't schedule the inspection until it's done. They're going to go through each room, and he will have this checklist out. Pass, fail, or inconclusive. If they're all not passes, nobody's moving in. Living room, kitchen, all the appliances will work. Jim will come in. He will check every burner on the stove. He will check the timer and the clock. He'll check the oven and make sure that it's clean. He'll check the oven to make sure it works. If it's gas or propane, all the pilot lights have to work. They all have to work as designed. So just keep that in mind. Every little thing, microwave, if it's there and it's part of the lease, has to work. Washer dryer, if it's there and part of the lease, has to work. So it's not just like this typical get in and go, like most landlords are used to. Everything has to work. The refrigerator, if it's there, it has to be clean. If there's a water dispenser in the refrigerator, it has to work. So just use your brain when you're doing this kind of stuff. Um, the things that they do look for, they're going to open up every cabinet. He opened up every single cabinet, every drawer, lifted up every piece of plastic at the bottom of the cabinet to make sure there wasn't holes. 
Um, he's going to check every fire extinguisher. He will turn on every smoke alarm to make sure that they work. This guy checked the GFI in each room to make sure that the system was protected. So it's pretty in-depth. Again, once you pass the first one, reinspection happens. But expect to have these units safe. He's not being a hard ass. He's not going over the top. If you want to rent to a Section 8 tenant or someone with government assistance, you better expect your unit to be in top-notch condition. That's the way it should be. And I know sometimes we forget that and investors forget that, but these things need to be safe. Uh, the bathroom, shower has to work. Anything installed has to work. So if there's a, an appliance that doesn't work, get it out or fix it. If there's an exhaust fan, same thing, has to all work. Any mold, cracked tiles, it all has to get replaced. So it is capital intensive. And I know Richard and I, we were talking about this a few weeks ago. A lot of people don't get into this because it requires a lot of capital expenditures. You know, things that you don't normally replace, these guys are going to flag and you got to fix it. So sometimes it makes sense for you as an investor and other times it doesn't. Um, this is other living rooms. I could send this out in a document afterwards, but just to show you, depending on the square footage and the amenities, the rent value changes. It has to be fair market rent. And depending on where you are, fair market is derived in several different ways. These are the income limits. Very low income and extremely low income. Obviously, if you have eight people in a house making $59,000 a year, you deserve to have some help by the government. They also have a lot more problems. This is right where the landlords go to. We'll talk about a three-bedroom house. This is Lehigh County only. Lehigh County is in Pennsylvania and Allentown area. Uh, for those of you calling in from abroad, a three-bedroom unit, the maximum assistance given for a three-bedroom unit is 1967 That does not mean the rent check from the county is going to be 1967 That means the total allotment to the landlord, including rent and some utility buffer, cannot exceed 1967 Now, you would say if you go up to uh, a three-bedroom small apartment, that's higher than what average rent would be for some of these places. And you're right. The reason is there is such a huge shortage of housing for people in the voucher program. And I'm going to show you a statistic from Carbon County. Carbon County is from Blue Mountain up, Palmerton, Bowmanstown, up that way. So this I found to be extremely interesting. 432 house choosing voucher programs and 15 mainstream. There's 38 available. The mainstream has zero. The waiting list, look at this. 408 people are on the waiting list for a voucher in Carbon County. That's ridiculous. There's not enough money to support the people who need it, which means there's that many families out there who are not able to provide housing for their family who needs it. That's like one a day for a year and a quarter to, to not be able to support these people who need it. When you think about that, we go back to this. This is the reason these rents are so high. The county has to incentivize landlords by giving what appear to be extremely high and premium rents for average rentals. Um, there are landlords that do what's called Section 8 arbitrage, and it's 
taking houses and converting them five six seven bedrooms and raking in cash flow because the section eight is so high paying but you have to find people with a seven bedroom voucher which is like eight to nine people on their certificate it's going to be very difficult especially in this area it has to be certified and has to be seven real bedrooms most common here one through four in lehigh county northampton county the lehigh valley area where this becomes important is if you have a unit, let's just call it a one-bedroom apartment, um, $1,200 for a one-bedroom apartment in this area is actually really, really good rent. That's on the much higher end for the average of the county. As a landlord, if you're willing to work with the county and willing to do the things required, your rent could really be $1,100, $1,150 for the month, and they'll cover most of it. We have several tenants in this position one through three bedrooms, they pay premiums. And it's not it's not the right way to think about it. They pay a premium to incentivize the landlords to rent to people in need. So I'm just going to pause there for a second. Does anybody here on the call have any experience with this, with this type of thing and sifting through Section 8 tenants? Anybody have any questions so far? Yeah, yeah no, I, I actually have a question. Oh, go ahead, Richard. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. So uh, it sounds like with these Section 8 tenants, like all of your standard kind of vetting process for who you want as a renter gets pushed aside because of their guaranteed income. Like, how do you successfully still kind of like vet these potential tenants? And like, what are some red flags you look out for, or some like green flags for that matter that say, okay, I will or will not rent to this person? Okay. That's a great question. Answer a part of that. Yeah, go ahead, Rich. Yeah, um, because I went through this in um, Dauphin County, in Harrisburg, PA, just like middle of the middle of the state, and uh, was considering going the route of Section Eight for some properties there. And I can tell you that I put the uh, prospective tenants through the same process of qualification that I would anyone else. I didn't treat them any differently. Now that said. Um, there are some key indicators that can tell you whether or not a particular candidate for tenancy is viable or not. One of those uh, would be when you talk to them, uh, getting to what do they do, um, how are they looking to improve their situation, uh, asking questions about uh, their family and the things that are going on in their lives. Um, that that can that, that can tell you a lot about. The potential candidate remember that you know i i decided personally not to go the route of section eight uh, because of certain management uh concerns that i had but that doesn't mean that it's not a viable program it just means that for me uh as an investor i chose not to go that route but um that said um i did look at their credit and i wanted to make sure that number one they didn't owe another landlord money um from a judgment you know, for example. So anyone that comes and they apply for tenancy with one of my properties, I want to make sure that they don't owe another landlord for, for from being evicted. So uh, that was one indicator. The other was, as I said earlier, was talking to people and making sure that, you know, you got to get along with your tenant. You got to know where they're, where they're coming from and where they're going. Um, and, um, and all that plays a role in deciding whether or not to rent to them so that that's my partial answer to 
your question. Uh, Matt, you might have some other comments around that because you're you're actually doing it right now. So yeah, so Ryan, it's it's a really good view you have. However, I think the one thing that everyone should realize is HUD themselves wants you to screen these people the exact way that you would screen any other tenant. There's nothing wrong with you making sure that you can do everything that you would normally do to any tenant applicant for a Section 8 tenant. Because when we're talking about the two pieces that really, I don't want to say don't matter, but aren't applicable to the situation here, is their income, which is the main thing that we all derive. Can they pay their bill? Can they pay us and can they pay their monthly rent? That's one piece. Their credit is another piece because it also <clears throat> shows their ability to do more than just pay their bills on time. It kind of translates into how they live, their responsibilities, priorities, things like that. However, everything else, criminal history, background checks, work history, family, uh, not necessarily family status, but the situation of everything that's going on right now, including a personal interview, must be done from our opinion. You are 100% encouraged, not only allowed, but encouraged to survey every single tenant the same way you would as someone who doesn't have a voucher because you're going to be in a position to manage them or your management company is going to manage them. So I hope that answered your question, but it's it's very much a um, income and maybe credit are the only things that you sh shouldn't really hold them to. Everything else, background checks, security, you know, um, sexual predators or sexual abuse, all of those things, you, you should check every single thing. Check their current landlord. Are they paying on time? Call the county to make sure that their voucher is active. Get a copy of it if they don't have a clear copy. All those different pieces. So did that answer your question? Yep. Thank you. Richard, you had something as he was chiming in. No, I didn't have anything more that to add. I think that you pretty much covered it. I mean, that's you know, if Section Eight is a, it's an interesting program, and it, and and there's a lot of people looking for housing, and we right now in this market we have a shortage of housing. We've had a shortage of housing for some time, so um, you want to make sure that everything's right with the with your unit, and of course that that goes without saying. Um, what I would do in a scenario, what I had considered in a scenarios like this in Dauphin County, the numbers were similar, was that, um, let's take, for example, the three bedroom at 1967, um, my rent would have been around 21, 2200, so that the tenant would only have to pay maybe 100 or 200 bucks a month. The uh, challenge that I ran into with some of the applicants was that there would be one person making, you know, being the breadwinner, the other person um, may not be working or may be working a, you know, a lower paying job. Remember, they have to, they have to fit within the financial parameters of the program. So you could run into a situation where you have more income coming in than they may be reporting. I'm not saying that that's uh, uh, always the case or that it's a, a problem per se, but um, but you wanted to make sure that whatever uh, amount that they are going to be responsible for, that they're able to pay and and to pay it consistently. 
Awesome. Anybody else have any comments or questions so far? Yeah, I've got one about the uh, security deposits. I was just reading that paragraph at the top there. Um, so it says the, the at least, I don't know if this is only Lehigh County. They say they don't assist with the security deposits. Do you find that there's any issue with the tenants coming up with that themselves or have to change those requirements at all? Carson, that's a great question. And yes, um, that was a, the next section we were getting to here. Security deposits and keys play a very important part in when this person can actually move in. So they bring you the voucher, you bring the paperwork or they bring the paperwork back to the county, they approve it, schedule a time for the inspector to come out, unit is approved. Now, once all that's done, you actually have to schedule a time to sit down and meet with these people to get their security deposit, sign your regular lease and give them the keys. The way you do this is the security deposit has to be on file before they can take occupancy or before they get the keys because you really have nothing to use if they were to trash the place day one. Highly unlikely, but I'm sure it's happened somewhere. The security deposit cannot exceed two months rent. Most landlords keep it to one month's rent. So we'll say for a three bedroom, you're at 1967 for your security deposit or whatever the rent happens to be. It's highly unlikely that a person with a section eight voucher who's moving from one tenant or one unit to your unit is going to have two grand laying around. Highly unlikely. The rent themselves or the rent itself does not come from them until you determine what well, a county determines what their portion of the rent is. There are programs out there. And in fact, all the Section 8 tenants that we've had move in, none of them have actually brought cash or a personal check for the security deposit. Because if they had that kind of funds around, they wouldn't really be in their voucher eligibility anymore. There are organizations, private organizations that give tenants like this the ability to get funds. Two of the ones that are popular in our area are the um, Hispanic American organization. We just got one from those uh, those guys. We had another one from the Diocese of Allentown, um, the Catholic Charities. There's a bunch of different mainly religious or uh, cultural site or cultural groups that provide security deposits for the tenants. What you do, they know these people. They'll tell you which one they're associated with because they know um, that they can't move in without it. And they'll say, okay, I'm, excuse me, I'm being sponsored by this person. All you need is a letter from you as a landlord saying they are moving in on this date. Here's a copy of whatever they need. And they'll actually give you a check. It's kind of scary how easy the process is sometimes. We've walked into the um, Catholic Charities and got a, a check for the entire security deposit amount. Same thing. Some will send it in the mail to make sure it's legitimate, but the security deposit has to come from somewhere before they get the keys to move in. Otherwise, you, it's really not security. The purpose of it is to have collateral in the event of damage. Now, hey, the what? first month's rent, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead, man. The first month's rent, depending on what it is, you should not expect to see a penny of rent for at least 60 days after the first tenant move in. And the reason is move in, let's say April 1st, two days from now, everything's done. You got their check from the Catholic charities of wherever, and they're able to move in. It's likely that they do not know, the tenants do not know their portion of the rent 
until several weeks after the paperwork's completed. So let's say for the two bedroom, 1535 is the rent. Their portion might be 400. The county's portion might be 1100. You don't know those two numbers until a while into the paper. You just know that you are going to get paid. So you have to take a little bit of time to trust the system. And in the beginning, for the first, I want to say two to three weeks, there's not going to be any income. The tenant will be notified of how much their portion is, and then it will be given to you and them in paper copy, and then they write you a check for their rent amount um, immediately because they're already past due at that point, but it's a kind of expected. So they couldn't pay you if they didn't know how much they owed. They'll pay you for the first month's rent portion, whether it's 150, 200, whatever the dollar amount is. And then by the end of the first month, most of the government paperwork's in order. Your direct deposit stuff's on file. Everything's looking good. Now, 45 days into this, you get two deposits from HUD, both for the back due rent amount. But by that point, the tenant has written you their second small rent check because you're into your second month. So one of the things they don't talk about with all this is that you will have a delayed cash income from this, but you will get paid in full. Um, the tenants sometimes get surprised because they're not expecting to pay that right away, but they have to pay rent. A part of this is they have to pay rent. So did that answer your question, Carson, about the security deposits? Yeah, it does. Thank you. Yeah, one other thing I'd like to add to that, Matt, is um, speaking of security deposits is if you're going to allow pets, that, in my opinion, is somewhat of a red flag. A person who cannot support feeding themselves, but yet they have a dog or cats or what have you, is something that you need to look out for. Do you agree with that, Matt? Uh, partially. Okay. Believe it or not, most of ours have pets, and really, um, they it is included into their rent. The HUD will not pay for pet rent. So if you're going to charge them pet rent, it has to be external of the whole transaction. What we do is we talk with the person, your rent's $1,400, but Fido or whatever you call the dog, um, your rent's $1,550 now. And you take that number to HUD, and then it's really built into the lease, always one-time non-refundable pet deposits and build in the rent. As long as they're not a violent dog breed, small dogs well-behaved big dogs and cats we we haven't had again haven't yeah had i generally i generally kept pet pet requirements to below 25 pounds so small dogs were were fine um i did have a veteran under the vash program which was about part of the voucher program same thing uh he had a uh a small dog and i did allow for that but um unfortunately at the end of that particular um, tenancy, there was some cleanup have, that needed to be done. So just something to look out for. Anybody else have any comments or suggestions on that? One of the things to think about, if the person has a four bedroom voucher, eventually they're not going to have a four bedroom voucher. Eventually the kids are going to grow up they're not going to be there, and it's just going to be them, maybe one or two of them. Their status will change long-term. Their voucher status will change. Um, 
So just kind of keep that in mind. They may qualify now, but in the future, there could be changes to their voucher status. This is a list of public units in Lehigh County. There's all these different apartment buildings. And you can see that these are very clearly high rises of sorts. And anybody from the area recognizes these. Uh, if you're not from the area, these are um, high density housing, but they're county owned. They're not private. The reason that private landlords are so sought after is because it's not a high rise. You have a family or a small family trying to find an affordable place. They're going to want a house, something homey, not a big hotel looking thing. So we think about it a little bit differently. When you're from a tenant's perspective, they're going to respond to the first landlord that says, okay. Section eight, a lot of people flags and walls up. They don't want anything to do with it personally. And from our experience with our investors and our partners, we've had great success with it. As long as you learn little kinks, I'd be more than happy to go through our experience with everybody uh, if you want to talk about it personally. But we're really, really enjoying the stability of it once you get through the ups and downs learning curves in the beginning. Um, this is just a graphic I want to show everybody. There is no adequate supply. We're talking about affordable and rental homes per 100 extremely low rental income households. There's no state in the entire area or entire country that has affordable housing limits that are determined to be acceptable. Florida, Texas, California, everything out west where the cost of living is a lot higher. This is a big problem and it's getting worse. And unfortunately, I hate to say it, everybody on this call as investors and as landlords, we're buying property that we're not living in. We're slowly becoming part of the wealth gap and part of the problem. So keeping units affordable and in decent condition where people can actually afford to live is kind of our responsibility. Now, how do you say that? And then on the same token, try and have good investment returns. So just keep in mind when you're doing this, it's, it's not that they have a lot of money out of their pocket. The system is supporting them through tax dollars and other things. But this this is growing on a, a much larger scale and it will continue to be a problem. So I think it's due diligence on all of us to figure out a way to combat this in our own markets, wherever that has to be. Uh, and I'm sure there are... You know, Ryan, you sent me a, a vacant land listing. I won't say exactly where, but there are special incentives for people to build high-density, low-income housing. It's desperately needed. And unfortunately, it's not going to help a lot of people. It's going to help the few who can fit in those units. But with 400 people on the waiting list for Carbon County, I can't even tell you how many are on the waiting list for Lehigh County. Um it's it's a problem that's just going to keep getting worse and worse and worse. Yeah, Dauphin um, County is in the thousands, Matt. Who's that? Dauphin County. Oh, in Western PA? Okay. Thousands. And it, that must mean it's much worse yes. in the areas where the housing shortage, it's, um, it's crazy. So I'm going to reference a few quick pieces, then we'll stop the conversation. We'll switch gears. Go to HUD. Educate yourself. Learn about the documents. Learn how to be a HUD landlord. Big cities like 
Whoa. Philadelphia Housing Authority, PHA. Anybody on the call here have experience with these guys? We have a few close friends who are very heavily involved in Philadelphia. You have to be certified. You got to take class. You got to go take classes and stay renewed to be a Section 8 landlord down there. Rent control is coming to Philadelphia. So if you know anybody down there, they're probably aware of this. You do not need um, owner certification up our way in the Lehigh Valley, but double check if you are going to become a um, Section 8 landlord that you understand what's needed. Housing shortages, depending on your county, there might be a long list. County-owned housing versus private housing is very, very different. You do not have to rent Section 8 as a private landlord. However, should you rent to them, educate yourself, learn about what it means, talk to your local housing authority, learn how to get involved with them. You could actually put your um, property on like an internal listing inside of the county housing. It's kind of like a mini Zillow realtor.com, but for private landlords, it takes a little bit longer to filter through. Most people just use the big sources like that. Inspections are detail oriented by nature. They make sure it's safe, clean and sanitary. Make sure you're doing the right thing. And then download this book. Learn about it. Does anybody have any questions about this stuff? Right on. That's all I have about Section 8 and HUD. I hope it was informational for you. Tons of stuff out there, and we're all still learning. So I, I hope you guys got something out of it. When you're ready to start branching into that, call us. We'll teach you what we know. We certainly don't know everything about it, but talk to your property management companies, your colleagues, and we can all kind of learn together. I don't have a question, but I do want to make a comment. Uh, Matt and I are involved with one of these units, and although I was not there the day he turned the keys over, I saw pictures of this woman's face, and you you could not say enough about this she was so grateful to have a place where where she was comfortable it was just incredible there's no words to express it mm -hmm. that, that's all i had to say yeah that's uh it's a really really good feeling and as long as you are attentive to their needs and you're not going over any limits with them i we keep getting those calls those smiling faces until they have to move somewhere else. So help as many people as we can. Richard, do you want to talk about uh, your stuff for a few minutes or how we're we looking on time? Um, we're doing okay on time. I don't really have a lot to uh, to, to go on today. I, I, I think that was a great presentation. Thank you, Matt, for that. Um, you know, we're going to have people that, um, that are going to need housing. And as investors, it is our responsibility um, to do what we can to, to help people where we can and to get them into a home uh, as soon as possible. My, my strategy out here is to get people into homes that they can eventually purchase. The, the goal is to get them into a, uh, a home that they would uh, have the responsibility of maintaining and, and, uh, and give them a 10 year uh, period by which they can actually buy the by the home for themselves. Uh, I, I believe that the, 
the idea of home ownership is a dream for many people. And there's an opportunity to provide that. And I think that once a person has that feeling, they will tend to want to take care of the property a little bit better, maybe do a few things to make it their own. But that's generally my strategy. Um, I, I don't have anything against Section 8. Um, I did have one bad experience, but that doesn't mean that that's all experience. This means that was just that one time. But uh, but once getting people into a, a home that they can own and 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 they can eventually buy when the when when things are are, uh, are right is the best way to go and that's that's really my strategy uh for this now in terms of uh some of the other things that are going on in the market um i, I will simply say that you know um the, the the market is still relatively stable uh i know that we've seen some bank failures lately some regional bank failures you've heard about uh we've seen some uh some uh, some saber rattling going on with uh, various organizations in the market about what the housing market is going to do. Uh, I would say that on the East Coast, we have a relatively stable market. It's growing. Um, we still have low inventory, so there's going to be that challenge. Um, I would say look at tax sale properties, look at share sale properties. If you have to, as an investor, you want to look at all the different avenues of sourcing your properties. And then uh, uh, on the West Coast, though, their property values are starting to drop because they've been rather inflated over the over the last few years anyway. And a lot of people are moving out of the West, coming back to the East because of affordable housing or maybe political positions, what have you. So, um, you know, just keep an eye on the market and do, keep doing your thing the way that you're doing it. And you should be okay. I know that, uh, you know, John and, and Matt are, are killing it in Lehigh Valley, but that's a hot market. Everyone from New York is coming your way. And, and that's always a good thing because it brings more money uh, into that uh, space and you're able to take advantage of, of opportunities as they come forward, right? Um, in terms of the top markets though, for this year, I, I would say that, you know, right now it's it's somewhat of a of a buyer's market in a sense, maybe not entirely. But when you look at the cost of money today, the cost of financing, it's getting much harder for people to actually finance homes these days. And as a result, that means that there's less home that they can buy for a given uh, income uh, schedule. So um, just uh, keep that in mind. And this is where really the Section Eight can play a role is is people who are on vouchers or people that simply can't afford to get the financing that they need, they can, um, you know, there, there's there's options there available. Now, in terms of where we are at this point, we're about 14% down uh, in terms of growth year over year, uh, overall in the United States and the markets. Uh, the East Coast, as I mentioned earlier, is growing a little bit better, it's, um, somewhere between six and 8%. So there is some growth out there in uh, certain hot markets. And, um, uh, and in the West Coast, it's, of course, a little bit different. Um, but uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee, South Carolina, Columbia, South Carolina, um, even out here in Toledo, Ohio, we're uh, experiencing a 4.2% you know, you know, growth uh, in terms of sales. So there's, there's some opportunity out here. And um, uh, anyone looking to make some investments in this area or out this way, you know, look me up. But uh, 
other than that, I, I would say that, you know, we, we're, we're definitely in the right business. Real estate moves very slowly, the market. So uh, don't make any hasty decisions too quickly. Um, don't listen too hard to the, the news outlets. Uh, do your own research and determine for yourself whether or not a deal is right. If a deal is right uh, today, it'll be right tomorrow. And if it's not, then it's not. You know, you do your numbers. That's basically what you do. You crunch your numbers and you determine whether or not a particular deal is going to be worthwhile. So, uh, but that's that's really all I have, man. I don't have any much. I don't have much more to to say than that. I think that uh, everyone on the call is uh, is pretty much uh, uh, on point in terms of what they're trying to do, and uh, they can look to either me or you for for help when they need it. Yeah, that's great, Rich. Thank you for going on to that um do you guys have any other questions i know we're coming up on an hour here if you want to just talk and bs on the phone for a little bit anybody have any subjects they want to bring up deals they want to talk about deals they want to sell or buy while we have all this all right so uh, Rich and I were just talking, we're going to get some people involved to have this function a little bit more smoothly here, since all of us are active in careers in real estate outside of the meetup. Uh, we're going to make sure that the system doesn't uh, get dropped again. We missed the meetup last month in February, uh, but before that, we've had some pretty awesome people on with some significant history. We've had guys with few hundred units one of our members has 1500 units at one point and it's just uh it's going in to some pretty deep weeds with investors across the country here so I, our mailing list is into the hundreds now um and our our invite again for some reason keeps going into the um spam folder so we're gonna get that addressed but please look for some updates uh the website's also up everything that we do is on youtube the podcast ryan's been awesome about digitizing these things and getting them online. It's like a mini bigger pockets. In fact, if you go on to the bigger pockets forums, we are on the events pages right now. I'm gonna do one last share before we kind of call the meeting. I know Matt just called in here and he's wondering why we're hanging up already, but <laughs> um, I'm gonna make an example of him here in just a second now that we have him on the call. Can everybody see this? Mm -hmm. This is the bigger pockets forums under the real estate events and meetups. If you go down here, we have our meetup is actually on the, um, the forums here. Everybody across the thing sees it. It just shows my mugshot there because I happen to reshare it. But there we are. We're on the world's biggest network of real estate investors out there. Uh, and that's going to lead me into a really quick segue before we pull the plug on this thing. Um, hey, Matt, are you able to unmute yourself here for a sec? Yeah, what's up? Right on. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, guys, Great. this is Matt Bubbenmoyer. He uh, he actually reached out to us from Bigger Pockets to help him with some investment real estate. He's from the area. Uh, he and his wife are doing some pretty crazy things in several different businesses. But Matt has a very unique story would you mind sharing just what you did the last week and like brief summary for everybody 
Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so I uh, was recently turned on to the, uh, the Bigger Pockets uh, community and kind of went down the rabbit hole and uh, got involved with uh, David Green team. And that started with uh, their mastermind, their Spartan League. So I bought a bunch of his books and got a free, you know, month membership to the the mastermind. And then I got a invitation for his uh, retreat, um, which was out in Scottsdale, Arizona. So I took a, a leap of faith and flew out there last week and was there in Arizona for four days, uh, meeting with David Green and Kyle Renke and uh, Christian. I can't recall his last name off the top of my head. He's the CEO of the One Brokerage, um, and had some some great interactions with those guys and their presentation. Uh, fortunately for me, I uh, it looks like they hadn't updated the FAQs on their retreat website, so I was going in like expecting a crash course in long distance real estate investing, and what I actually got was a crash course in starting and scaling small business which I've done three times. Uh, so it was, I was kind of a little caught off guard by that because um, definitely was not what I was expecting, uh, but ended up getting some value out of the, the conversations and, and the different people and the perspectives. It was only about 18 people, so it was a very intimate setting, um, a lot of one-to-one -one time, small group time. Um, so just kind of getting everybody's you know feedback, everybody that was there wanted to be in that room and they had value to bring to the room. Um, so that was really what I took away was the biggest um, big thing for me was, was making, having those relationships and getting different insights and perspectives from other people in the business, um, what their trials and, and tribulations have been. So that was that was kind of my week last week. It's awesome. Thanks for uh, thanks for giving people that. I, everybody here knows bigger pockets and kind of what it is. A lot of us met on that forum, but. If you hear the name David Green, it's one thing, but it's another thing to actually be out there and in a room with him where I'm going to tell everybody that he picked you to start teaching some stuff on his behalf and walked out of the room. <laughs> That's a pretty awesome experience you had. And everybody remember Matt's name here and his epically awesome company's name as well, which <laughs> we, uh, we, we love talking to him. He's a very, very smart guy, and you're going to see some cool stuff from from Matt, um, and just kind of give you a background. I see you calling in on the phone here. We have uh, 10 of us on the phone now, and there's a few hundred on the mailing list, and they're all going to uh, watch the video at some point. But we've got a few dozen on the call, depending on the subject and the time of day. But thanks for uh, giving your background there, Matt. This is, this is pretty cool. So anybody else on the call? I know we didn't do intros in the beginning just so we can kind of check off and start doing some subjects but um dimitri or tom carson anybody have any questions before we sign off here hey uh this is tom um no i don't have any questions i got on a little late um you know i guess i'll connect with you guys on one-on-one -on -one, but i kind of want to introduce myself i'm a new agent at um reality group reality one group supreme i started about three weeks ago uh started my career in real estate only have one rental right now looking to scale up, you know, in the future. Um, but just wanted to introduce myself. Um, I got connected through uh, Brian Walter to you guys. Um, so I'll just keep, you know, keep me posted and hopefully I can meet you. And I know John works at Realty One too. So I hope to meet you guys in, you know, person soon. Which yeah, office are sure. you out of? Allentown. Right. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah, it's been a, 
it's been an interesting journey to get to this point and it's amazing that people are connecting with. So Tom, we'll definitely connect. I'll get back to your email tonight um, and we'll find time to get together. So anybody else have anything they want to uh, talk about before we sign off? Dimitri's getting ready to buy his first investment property on um, Friday. That's been a roller coaster of an emotion transaction there, but <laughs> we got him covered. We're at so. All right, everybody. That was section eight. <clears throat> Lots of good info. If you called in a little bit late, um, watch the YouTube video. I'll send the links out and the uh, the data that we had discussed there. Um, again, this is about typical for our calls. Sometimes we have a few more. Um, the history of the videos is pretty impressive. It's lots of good subject area from people all over the country. So I appreciate everybody calling in. Thanks for your time. And uh, we don't have any cool sign off like bigger pockets, but maybe we <laughs> could think so. John, why don't you start singing and everybody will leave? <laughs> Stay safe, everyone. <laughs> all right, guys. Have a good night. Yeah. Hey, thanks.